Hi, everyone, and welcome to Year Round Madness, the college basketball podcast that's part of the Total Sports 24-7 Network. This is Chris Hayes, the host and producer for this podcast and all podcasts across the Total Sports 24-7 Network. You can find archived episodes of Year Round Madness and all your favorite podcasts on our website. It's totalsports247.podbean.com. Follow me on X at totalsports underscore 247. Visit our newsletter and consider subscribing at weekinweekout.substack.com and subscribe to this podcast wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. And please remember to rate and review this podcast so we can boost the numbers and get the word out there about what it is we're doing at the Total Sports 24-7 Network. Today we have five games to cover in the college basketball landscape. It is a big day. None of these games start until 4 p.m. Eastern time, so you have a little bit of time to listen to this, maybe even a couple times before the games that we cover tip off. Before we get to those games, let's do a quick recap of how we did last week. We didn't do great, but... We're still confident in the process, and we like our plays today. We were 2-3 and three last week. We had Creighton plus 3 at home against UConn. That was never in doubt. Creighton led almost wire to wire. Basically, the last at least 30 minutes of that game, they were in control. UConn tried to make it a game towards the end of the second half, maybe somewhere in that range of like 7 to 4 minutes to go. It, was a, it wasn't dicey, but it was a little bit nerve-wracking before Creighton shut the door and took care of business with the victory at home. The second game we called that was correct was TCU plus 5.5 over Texas Tech. We like games like that where the line we just think is too big, where the teams aren't that far apart. And we didn't think 5.5 was a home court advantage for Texas Tech. Like, if you had put those two on a neutral, I don't know who you would even favor. That might be a pick And so for us, that uh, point spread was accounting for their home court advantage way too much. And so we liked CCU and they managed to cover. Baylor and the over in BYU both missed. We were a little surprised about this. BYU... Uh, they uh, didn't have as much offensive firepower, but they looked better defensively. And that <laughs> both those elements surprised us. And, and uh, Baylor just uh, couldn't close the gap enough to keep this within the four-point spread. So we did not get that one. And then we had San Diego State on a short money line play against Utah State. We may have overestimated the significance of the computer numbers with this Utah State Aggies team. They looked good, and they looked like they could compete with San Diego State for the 40 minutes and ended up pulling off the victory. And I believe they covered. It was two and a half, I think I want to say, and uh, they looked very impressive. And so Utah State, they might be on their way to an at-large bid that we were not anticipating uh, last week. But we'll see. There's a long way to go. Lots of teams needing to improve their resumes and lots of jockeying for position for those final, I don't know, say eight to 10 at-large bids. We'll talk about a couple of those teams today as we cover some of the games that we are interested in. And uh, let's actually get right into it. Our first game that we're going to talk about is a 
blockbuster matchup. It's number 13, Alabama, at number 17, Kentucky. This is 4 p.m. on CBS. Alabama's 19-7 overall, 11-2 in the SEC. Kentucky is 18-8 overall, 8-5 in the SEC. We will frame the conversation with current odds on DraftKings with the understanding that these odds are fluctuating as we speak and with the caveat that you should always shop around for lines at the various books and get the best plays you can. So current odds are Kentucky minus three at minus 108. The total sits at 175. With the over, I think, is minus 105. Let me just double check this quick. And uh, on the money line, Alabama is plus 124. Kentucky is minus 148. So those are the odds that we have currently for this very important SEC matchup taking place at 4 o'clock on CBS. And just to confirm that over sits at minus 105. So the over is, sorry, the total is 175. The over is minus 105 and the under is minus 115. When we look at these these teams uh, against the spread, Alabama is 16 and 10 this year. Kentucky is 15 and 11. So no real betting edge either side. It's not like either one of these teams is Minnesota, right? So 16 and 10 and 15 and 11. Uh, the rankings for these teams, Alabama has had, Excellent computer numbers the entire season. They sit at number five in the net, and they're not lower than eight at any of the ratings agencies, despite their number 13 overall ranking. It feels like Alabama has tried to recover all season long from early losses. They had losses at the beginning of the year, and it feels like that they're being discounted for those losses throughout. That They were six and five after their December 20th loss to Arizona and they're 19 and 7 now. It feels like that those losses have have weighed down their ranking with the voters the entire season because the computers say that this is a top 10 team and have said so for a few weeks. When you look at those losses, there was a a pretty not a bad one but not a great loss to Ohio State in November. But then the four of the next five, Clemson is fine, and then Purdue, Creighton, and Arizona in, in a three-loss stretch. So a lot of the, uh, the losses are certainly explainable for this Alabama team, and they have picked it up significantly since with only two losses in conference. Bad losses, mind you, a 20-point loss at Tennessee and a an 18-point loss at Auburn. So they they can get blown out. Um, you know, four of their losses are by at double digits. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, maybe not for this game, but uh, as the, you know, as March Madness rolls around. Kentucky, on the other hand, they're number 17. They're lower than that across the board in the computers. 24 in the net. They've been hovering in the in that 20 to 25 range for a few weeks now as well. So that's not particularly surprising. Um, their ranking will go down. Uh, it's, it sits at 17 now, but at least I think it will go down when the, the new polls come out on Monday, given the loss that they had to LSU 
uh, on the road. It kind of cancels out that successful uh, couple games where they were looking better defensively against Ole Miss and Auburn. So if they win this one, maybe they'll stay at 17. I still think they would probably fall uh, because that LSU loss really isn't something that they can afford to do at this point in the season. When we look at their top 100 players for each of these squads, Alabama, it's very interesting because, and a couple other teams are like this that we'll get to, the guys that you hear about aren't necessarily the ones that rank the highest on their team. So when we talk about top 100 players, we are talking about the rankings over at EvanMaya.com. So we've got Alabama. Aaron Estrada is the number 22 player in the country. Mark Sears, number 30. Rylan Griffin, 55. And Latrell Wrightsell clocks in at 94. So those are two names that you I don't think you hear as much with this Alabama team as maybe you should. We hear a lot about Grant Nelson and uh, probably Sam Walters too because of his uh, outside shooting prowess this year. But Griffin and Reitzel, ratings-wise, are in the top 100 uh, in the country with the way that they have played so far this year. Nelson, I'm sure, is falling outside the top 100 because of his lack of efficiency from beyond the arc, shooting just 27.3%. And while he has some defensive prowess at 1.7 blocks per game, he doesn't get a lot of rebounds for somebody who is 6'11", averaging just 5.6 rebounds a game. He kind of plays along the perimeter, and Alabama really takes a team-based approach to rebounding. So that could be why Nelson is outside the top 100. For Kentucky, they, despite all their talent, they only have two players in the top 100. And you may guess who they are, given the seasons that they've had. It's the super freshmen with Reed Shepard and Rob Dillingham. Shepard is number four overall because of his efficiency. 52% field goals, 81% from the line. I thought it was higher than that. And 51% from three combined with 12 points, 4.3 boards, 4.1 assists, and 2.7 steals. And nearly a block per game. So the his versatility on offense and defense and his decision-making ability in particular, I think, contribute to this number four ranking. Rob Dillingham, one of the more exciting players in the country. One of the better scorers in the country at 15 points per game, averaging just 23 minutes a game and shooting 44% from beyond the arc. With Reeves, Dillingham, and Shepard, this Kentucky team can really fill it up. They shoot 40.5% from three, and that is going to be a storyline to watch in this one, how Alabama can defend Kentucky on the perimeter in Rupp Arena. So some other keys to this game. I think the rebounding story is going to be interesting. Like we said, Alabama is a little bit more of a team-based approach to rebounding, whereas Kentucky... They rely on Trey Mitchell and his uh, 7.5 boards per game. Kentucky, they have their bigs, right? They've got a Bradshaw that they that they work into games now uh, after, since he's healthy from the beginning of the year. They got Ogana Aniensu, who's also healthy since the beginning of the year. They've got Big Z 
Zvonavir Avicevic, who is also healthy since his injuries at the beginning of the year. I think Calipari's rotations are a little bit curious at times, and I don't know that he's figured out yet how to work in these three big guys into the rotation that he had solidified at the beginning of the year without their presence. But that has contributed to uh, solid rebounding numbers for uh, their their guards and their smaller forwards. Like, for example, Adutiero gets five and a half rebounds a game from the wing position. When we look at the rebounding story for Alabama, again, they spread it out as well with uh, Nelson leading the way at just 5.6 blocks. So who will be able to uh, get those offensive rebounds, I think, off of missed opportunities and convert those into second chance points. I think that's going to be crucial for both teams to figure out as the game progresses. These teams play at some of the faster paces in, one, the country, but but I think more importantly, among like power six teams, right? When we look at their numbers on Ken Palm for adjusted tempo, Alabama is 14th in the country in terms of adjusted tempo. And when we look at Kentucky, they are 18. So I think this is going to be an up and down affair. And with the total at 175 and Alabama averaging 91 points a game and Kentucky averaging 87.6, I think this game has the opportunity to go into the 90s. And I don't discount the possibility of overtime in this game either. So we're not sure how this is going to go. We think the game's going to be pretty tight throughout. There could be a run here and there, but I don't see this. I don't see either team pulling away to say a double digit lead. But I think this game is going to go fast. And I think uh, both teams have enough depth to keep the pace up throughout 40 minutes. So we like the over in this one of 175. And again, that's minus 105 on DraftKings right now. That's going to be our first play of the uh, five that we have for you today. Uh, Alabama and Kentucky over 175 at minus 105. The game opposite this one on ESPN. This is a very interesting game because it features one of the most interesting teams in all the country. They're interesting every year, but they're very interesting this year. This is number 10, North Carolina at the most interesting team, in my mind, Virginia. And again, 4 o'clock ESPN. North Carolina is 20-6 and six overall. They're 12-3 and three in the ACC. Virginia is somehow... 20 and 7 overall, and they are 11 and 5 in the ACC overall. Current odds on this one are UNC minus 2.5 at minus 115. The total sits at 130. UNC on the money line is 142 or uh, minus 142. Uh, Virginia on the money line is plus 120. When we look at their numbers against the spread this year, again, not really an edge either way. UNC's 15 and 11, and UVA is 14, 12, and 1. UNC's right around uh, 10 consistently in not just the voters' minds, but also the computer ranks. Their lowest rank uh, among all the major uh, computer rankings is 12 at ESPN. So they're they're sitting right on, I, would, I think they're sitting on the two line right now if we had to do, um, you know, like an impromptu bracketology. I think UNC's on 
the two lines. They're kind of like right there with Duke. I think it'll come down to their second game this year. And then however it is, each one of them performs in the ACC tournament will determine right now who will be jockeying for that number two. Because I think if either North Carolina or Duke wins the ACC, they're locked in as a two. I don't know if they have enough to get to the one. They might. But I would say as of now, they would be locked into the two. And the other would be either a three or fall to four, depending on how the committee ranks, I would say, the top of the SEC, uh, the top of the Big East. And that's probably it. I, I don't know that there's enough at the top of the Big Ten to cause a disturbance there. When we look at UVA, this is why they're so interesting. I think a lot of bracketologists have UVA safely in the field. I don't know that that is a safe assumption at this point. UVA is 47 right now in the net. So they are not in a safe position right now at all when you look at their computer numbers. They are 6-6 six and six in quad one and quad two opportunities. They also have a quad three loss against Notre Dame. And when they lose, they lose big time, which is not what a lot of these computers like. When we look at their schedule for the year, again, seven losses isn't that bad, but these are their seven losses, all right? Listen to this. The teams aren't horrible. The Notre Dame loss notwithstanding. We have a 24-point loss against Wisconsin. We have a 23-point loss at Memphis. We have a 16-point loss at NC State. We have a 19-point loss at Wake. Oh, sorry, a 22-point loss at Notre Dame. An 11-point loss at Pitt and a... Oh, that was, that was at home. Sorry, 11-point loss at home versus Pitt. And a 34-point loss at Virginia Tech. So when they lose, they know how to lose this Virginia team. They're either in the game or they are not. Because they don't have a ton of blowout wins. They have some uh, on the schedule. I mean, they, they blew out Louisville in their home and home. And they blew out Miami. <laughs> they held Miami to 38 points a few weeks ago at home. So while they, you know, they don't separate themselves uh, all that much, they can't because of their pace of play and just their overall talent on offense. Their res you know, they have a couple good wins. Their win against Florida early in the season, 73 to 70, looks better and better as the season goes on. And they have a win head to head against a fellow bubble team that we will talk about later in Texas A&M, 59 to 47 other games that they have wins you know they did beat virginia tech despite that bad loss who's a bubble team they have a win over syracuse who's maybe a bubble team and they have a win against wake which i think is really important that they got that one to at least split with wake because wake ranks much better in the computer rankings than uva does and so head-to-head -head might be a key component to analyzing if it comes down to Wake versus UVA as to who gets in in the tournament. So if they play each other in the ACC tournament, that could be a game that decides whether or not 
they get in the tournament, period. So UVA's 47 in the net. That's their highest computer ranking among the ratings agency. They are 67 at Ken Palm. And uh, Evan Maya also has them in the 60s. And so this team, <laughs> they find ways to win if they can score enough. But you can see that they're vulnerable to some blowout losses. When we look at top 100 players... For each team, of course, with UNC, you've got the two stars, Armando Baycott, number 32, and RJ Davis, number 36. Harrison Ingram has been a great addition to this team. Uh, I love the way he shoots from the outside, shooting just under 41% for the year, and he's contributing over nine rebounds a game at 6'7 from that forward position. He's a big body and um, just can cause issues uh, for opposing teams with one, his outside shooting ability and his ability to uh, clean up on the glass. 9.1 boards is far and away his career high. And this is his third full season in college. Again, he's the Stanford transfer. His first two seasons were there on the West Coast. When we look at Virginia, they have one player in the top 100. That's Reese Beekman. He's somebody that I thought would have a much better season than he's had. I, I wasn't. I wouldn't say that I was high on Virginia to start the season, but I didn't think that they would have all these blowout losses. That's for sure. And it's it's they're almost like a caricature of themselves this year. They're so Virginia this year. It's it's kind of uh, mind boggling. Like when you look at Beekman. You know, he's only shooting 31% from beyond the arc, 45% from the field, but he's got that defensive ability, right? 2.2 steals per game, which was uh, one of the reasons that we liked him coming into the season, that two-way ability, but he hasn't really taken the next step to be that leader that they need offensively. I mean, he's gone from 9.5 points per game to 14, and that's great, but his percentages are lower, right? He's he's shooting he's shooting better from two point range. That accounts for his boost in point production, that in his minutes. Well, actually not his minutes, just that. <laughs> just that. Uh but his three point percentage dipped from 35 to 31. His free throw percentage dips from 79 to 74. This is his lowest free throw percentage of his career this year. He's been a good facilitator and you know, he's had a good season, and it is a better season than what he had last year. I thought there was even another level that he could get to, and he just hasn't gotten there for me this year. So a couple stats on this UVA team, which makes them so interesting, and like I said, which makes them so Virginia. According to Evan Maya, they are number two in terms of home rank. And the home rank stat at Evan Maya, I'll read it directly from the site so I'm not mischaracterizing how he ranks this stat. So Evan Maya uh, has this uh, home rank statistic on his site. And like I said, UVA is number two in this home rank, site, uh, home rank stat. And... It's listed on his site as a team's rank in how much better they perform at home versus road games. A team ranked higher will play much better at home than on the road. 
and it's not surprising given those figures that I just gave you with all those blowout losses that Virginia would be number two in the country. They're also last in all of Ken Palm. They're last in the country in adjusted tempo. Not last among Power Six conference teams, not last in the ACC. I mean, they're last in both of those two, but they are dead last in the whole country in adjusted tempo on Ken Palm. And North Carolina might have uh, a little bit of an issue with the tempo here in this one because they like to push the pace uh, with uh, R.J. Davis getting out on the break. And Cadeau has done a nice job, especially since the beginning of the year, settling in his freshman year and leading the offense as well. They're 40th in terms of adjusted tempo, so that's going to be certainly a contrast in styles. I think uh, the play that we like here, there's a couple plays that we like. I think the rebounding for UNC is going to tip the scales in their favor, and I think that UVA is just not going to have enough offensively to keep up. So we like UNC minus 2.5, and we like the under 130. You know, when we look at UNC's roster overall, I they're I you know they're they're always an excellent rebounding team, right? We talked about Ingram's rebounding prowess. They average forty one point one rebounds per game. They're averaging eighty three points per game as well. It doesn't feel like they're as great offensively as they could be. I think Cormac Ryan has been a disappointment at the starting guard position. I don't know if they get much else from their bench with guys like Seth Trimble. And, you know, Jalen Washington and Jalen Withers, like they're coming in and they're playing. They're not giving a ton offensively. We like Washington as uh, someone who could step up next year and play a key role in the absence of some of these bigger players for uh, North Carolina, but not this year. They don't they don't they don't have the perimeter depth that uh, I think they thought they maybe had coming into the season. Ryan's only shot 31.7% from beyond the arc. And uh, he was better than that at Notre Dame last year at 34%. And prior to that, in the 2021-2022 campaign, he was shooting over 40%. I, I think they were looking for a little bit more of a boost from Ryan. It hasn't materialized. And um, I, that's just one of the reasons I think this game might go under 130. I don't know. Yes, they average 82.8 points per game, but going up against this Virginia defense, and um, I, I think that you've uh, that North Carolina, yes, they, they can push pace and they can score, but I don't know that I would characterize them as an elite offensive team going up and against an elite defense. Maybe I'll put it that way. We still like them to win. We think they're a significantly better team than UVA. We understand that UVA is plays so much better at home, but that discrepancy between home and road to us doesn't mean that they can get a victory against UNC at home, right? Like you could be way better at home than on the road, but it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're going to beat the best teams at home, if that makes sense. And um, we think North Carolina is one of those best teams. They got North Carolina got their tricky road loss out of the way, right? They already did that. They had that loss uh, at uh, Georgia Tech at the end of January, and they lost at Syracuse. We think they're done with all that. We think they're done fooling around, and we think they're going to start uh, to 
uh, get on a streak here. After this game against UVA, they've got Miami, NC State, Notre Dame before the Duke matchup. We can't imagine they won't be 24-6 and six going into that uh, final tilt against Duke and really getting on a streak and uh, shooting for that number two seed overall in the NCAA tournament. So again, our pick for this game, UNC minus two and a half and also the under 130. Our third game is Texas at number nine, Kansas. This is on ESPN at six o'clock. Current odds are Kansas minus eight and a half at minus 112. Total sits at 144 and a half. Texas on the money line is plus 320. Kansas on the money line is minus 410. Now there is a, a somewhat of a discrepancy between these two uh, in terms of against the spread, but they're both bad <laughs> against the spread. Texas is 9-17 and 17 against the spread this year. Kansas uh, only a little bit better, 11-14-1 against the spread. Texas is one of these teams as well that needs to start getting some wins in order to feel comfortable about their positioning for the NCAA tournament. We think they're probably a 10 seed right now. Some of the computers like them more than others. The uh, The net ranks them at 38. And you'll see them as high as 25 in other computer rankings. So they, they're good. They, I, you know, they, they have a bad loss at West Virginia. They have a loss against UCF as well. They're just pretty up and down. When we look at their wins on the year, they've got a good win on the road at Oklahoma by 15. They have a good win on the road at TCU by 11. They did beat Baylor at home. They don't have a ton in their non-conference that they can write home about. They actually have nothing that impresses me in their non-conference. Their best non-conference win might be a neutral against LSU, which is... Nothing, <laughs> which is nothing. So I'm more inclined to believe the the rankings of the net than I am of some of the other ratings agencies. On the flip side, Kansas, again, 20 and 6 and 8 and 5 in the Big 12, number 9 overall. They have been, their computer numbers have been depressed all year. They have been higher in the AP and among the, the voters consistently all year long. They sit at 17 in the net. I can't imagine that Kansas isn't challenging for a number two seed at this point. Houston is the clear number one in the conference, but Kansas is right there and still has an opportunity to win the Big 12. When you look at their schedule, I don't know why their computer numbers are so low. You look at their wins, at Oklahoma, they just won by 10. They have a win against Baylor. They have a double-digit win against Houston. I don't know who else can say that. They swept uh, OU, actually. So they have two double-digit wins against uh, Oklahoma. They have a win against TCU. And they have a win at home in the non-con against UConn. They have a neutral win against Tennessee. And they have a neutral win against Kentucky. So they have some great wins. And it feels like they're not getting credit for it. They don't, you know, the, part of the reason I think that their numbers were uh, not that high in the computers is because some of their wins were unimpressive, right? When we look at Eastern Illinois, they won by eight. We look at Mizzou, they won by nine. Indiana, they won by four. 
so uh, they have some wins that are uh, short on terms of margin of victory, but I don't think to the point where they should be as low as 17 in any of the rankings agencies. They're still 20 and 6 and 8 and 5 in the best conference in the country, so I'm more inclined to believe they're closer to the 9 than the 17. When we look at top 100 players for each of these teams on Texas, we've got Dylan DeSue, who's been a monster all season. He's number 50. And Dylan Mitchell checks in at number 96. You would think maybe that Max Amos is up there. He's not, though. I think it's uh, maybe he's a little bit of a liability defensively, and his three-point shooting can come and go. And so... I think that's probably why he is not in the top 100 over at Evan Maya. When we look at Kansas, they've got Hunter Dickinson, top 20 player, Kevin McCullough, number 31, and Dewan Harris, number 97. So what do we like in this one? We think, despite their 9-17 and 17 record for covering the spread, we think Texas can keep this close. We think Kansas is a little bit limited offensively this year compared to years past. They can't; they don't shoot the three nearly as well. Like Nick Timberlake, who they got in the uh, transfer portal, has not gotten the job done like they thought he could. And uh, McCullough's never been a great shooter from beyond the arc. Uh, Elmarco Jackson, also the freshman, top 50 recruit, is also not filling it up from long range. So they shoot 34.6 from deep. They still have great percentages within the arc. Of course, with K.J. Adams, one of the more efficient players in the country, shooting 61% from the field, and Dickinson as well. They're not one of these teams that's going to shoot you out of the gym, right? And so with Texas, I think that they can keep it close, and cover this eight and a half point spread. When we look over at uh, Evan Maya, Texas ranks 47th on defense. They're a little bit slower uh, in terms of adjusted tempo as well at number 238. They do, uh, surprisingly, I think with Texas, their adjusted offense is number 27 in the country. And and, and it, it doesn't seem like it when you watch them play. They don't seem like, a team that has you know offensive prowess, but they do rank pretty well, higher than Kansas at number 45. Uh, Kansas's defense should present some issues for Texas as well, so I like this to be a little bit low scoring. We're considering the 144 and a half and playing the under, but I we could also envision like a backdoor over situation if this game is tight throughout. We think more that Texas is going to be able to keep it close considering Kansas's history this year of not being able to put teams away, the Oklahoma series notwithstanding. So we like Texas plus eight and a half. We think Texas is a little bit desperate. Like we said, they need to start racking up some wins. And when we look at their schedule moving forward, They still have to play Texas Tech, Baylor, and Oklahoma to close out the season. So it's going to be a tough one to get for them, but they they at least have to play well enough to stabilize where they are in the rankings so that they don't fall off the bubble and out of the NCAA tournament picture altogether. So we're going to go with Texas plus eight and a half. That's going to be our third play. Our fourth game 
that we have an eye on. This is 8 p.m. on Fox. It's Villanova at number one, UConn. Villanova is one of the more interesting teams in the country as well, and we'll get into that as we talk about this matchup. Current odds are UConn minus 11.5 at minus 112. The total sits at 133.5, a pretty low total for this one, and we'll talk about why. Villanova on the money line is plus 525. UConn is minus 750. Against the spread, it's pretty even here. Villano- no edge. Villanova's 15 and 11, just like their actual record. And UConn's 16 and 11 against the spread. Villanova is a very interesting bubble team because they have some confounding losses and some top tier wins. And So let's get into how Villanova's season has gone uh, before we, go- we get to UConn. So their ranking is 34 in the net. So higher than teams like Virginia and higher than teams like Texas, who I think according to most bracketologists, they would have Texas and Virginia in both ahead of Villanova. But Villanova has the higher net ranking and they rank as high as 21 over at Evan Maya. So why is that? Again, they have some, curious losses but listen to these wins that they have they have one of the better compilations of non-conference wins in the country when you think about a 17 point win against maryland they beat texas tech on a neutral in uh i think it was in uh, battle for atlantis uh at, by 16 they beat unc in overtime in that tournament they beat memphis by 16 And then later on in the non-conference, I think there's another one. They beat UCLA by uh, nine, which is not great, but UCLA has been playing much better recently. So that win is going to look better and better. So again, Maryland, Texas Tech, UNC, Memphis, and UCLA all in the non-con. No slouches there. Those are five quality wins, even if those aren't five tournament teams. But. They have losses to Penn, who is an atrocious team this year. Penn is 10 and 15 in the Ivy. They're in seventh place in the Ivy, and Villanova lost to them 76 to 72. They lost to St. Joe's, who is improved, but certainly not a team that ranks all that highly among uh, most metrics. They lost to Drexel. Again, not a bad team, not like Penn territory, but a game that you should win. And so those questionable losses have really pulled this team down. But they also have really good caliber wins in conference. They've beat Creighton in overtime. They have a win against Xavier, a win against Providence, a win against Seton Hall, and a win against Butler. So that's right there. 10 of their 15 wins at least are of a high quality, which is why their computer numbers are where they are, despite some of those questionable losses. When we look at them in terms of their net ranking, like we said, they are 34 in the net, and they are 9 and 8 in terms of quad 1 and quad 2 opportunities. 9 wins is a lot for a bubble team. The problem is they have three quad three losses, but they only have nine games in quads three and four. So their strength of schedule numbers and the fact they have nine quad one and quad two wins 
should help Villanova when it comes down to analyzing teams at the margins. Transitioning to UConn, they are number one. They will not very likely be number one when the new rankings come out next week because of their loss to Creighton, but we will see about that. They could still be, depending on how the rest of the weekend shakes out. They're top five everywhere, but they're not higher than three at any of the other ratings agencies. So uh, no one really thinks that UConn's number one except the voters right now, but nobody thinks that they're, I think, not worthy of a number one seed at this point, given what they have accomplished. In terms of top 100 players, Villanova only has one with Eric Dixon. We, we were high on Villanova coming into the season. We still think they have time, believe it or not, to figure it out. But we really thought that Justin Moore would step up and have uh, kind of like a first-team All-Big East type of season, or at least a second-team All-Big East type of season. And it just hasn't happened. He's averaging a career-low 10 points per game, shooting only 27% from beyond the arc. He's. It feels like he's just not healthy He's had to deal with some injury woes this year. He had injuries for a good amount of last year. And I don't know that he's all the way back. He's not playing like he is. And I think that can explain some of the struggles that Villanova has had all season. Eric Dixon has had to carry this team on his back. And he has certainly done so. Uh, 15.9 points per game. 6.3 boards. And uh, decent shooting numbers. Uh, 35% from three, 87% of the free throw line, which is huge, and uh, 47% from the field. So he is really uh, keeping this team uh, afloat, and uh, and he's he's the true leader, not um, Justin Moore like we had anticipated. When we look at UConn, they have leaders across the board. All their, their top five starters, I think we mentioned this uh, when we covered them last time, their top five starters are ranked in the top 33 of Evan Maya, and they also have a top 100 player off the bench in Hassan Diara, who Diara is number 88, and Diara ranks the second most significant or the second best a defensive player on UConn's squad, of course, behind Donovan Klingon. He comes in, he gives energy, and he is a problem uh, for those perimeter and wing players opposite play he's got good size he doesn't have great size but he can match up against a, a, a bunch of different players 6'2 190 so he's kind of big even though he's not that tall and he's quick and uh, can create again lots of problems for perimeter players Villanova has a very interesting stat over on Evan Maya their second in the top 100, out of the top 100 teams, they are second in what Evan Maya characterizes as kill shots allowed. So the kill shots allowed stat on EvanMaya.com is the total number of double-digit scoring runs conceded in the season. So Villanova is vulnerable to allowing teams to go on extended runs. <laughs> that can be a problem when you're facing top-tier competition. We'll see if that comes into play in this one. Um, I would not be surprised if it does at some point, given UConn and the way they play offensively, where they can just kind of get on runs themselves. They average UConn about one 10-0 run per game. Uh, uh, on Evan Maya, they're at 0 0.96, which is... 
uh, one of the higher rate, uh, ranks in the country. They are top five, tied for fifth with the likes of uh, Arizona and Auburn, which is not surprising, but also St. Mary's, which is kind of surprising. St. Mary's might go on a 10-0 run and it will last seven minutes, and Arizona will go on a 10-0 run and it will last 90 seconds. <laughs> Maybe that's the difference. So uh, Villanova is susceptible to allowing teams to um, go on these uh, these runs, and we'll see if that uh, factors into it. But neither one of these teams wants to play all that fast. UConn is 335 in adjusted tempo on Ken Palm. Villanova is 343. So what are the plays that we like in this one? We would say the under, but that total already is so low at 133.5 that we're going to stay away from the total. I mean, if this is 68-66, then it goes over. So the play we like better is Villanova, and we found plus 12 at minus 110 over at Caesars. So that's the play we're going to go with. If this gets in the range of 11, we don't not like it nearly as much. We'd like that 12 as a cushion for us in case of a push, like a 70 to 58 situation. We could see that happening or uh, you know, 75, 63, we could see that happening. So again, this total's really low. We're not sure how much we like it and uh, we're going to stay away from it. Um, the play that we like is Villanova plus 12 on Caesars. Our final game today, Texas A&M at number five, Tennessee. This is at 8 p.m. on ESPN. Tennessee's favored 10.5 at minus 112. The total's at 146. It's at minus 115 to the under as well. Texas A&M on the money line is plus 440. Tennessee in the money line is minus 600. So let's talk about these two teams. Uh, Texas A&M against the spreads 11 and 15. And they have some work to do. I would say they're on the outside looking in if... Uh, selection Sunday were today. They are 49 in the net. They're as high as 35 over at ESPN. But again, with this 15 and 11 record, six and seven in conference with some bad losses recently, a three game losing streak, including at Vanderbilt and to Arkansas. Those are losses that you can't really have at this point if you're trying to sneak into the tournament. They got swept by Arkansas this year. They also have a loss to LSU on their resume. And none of their other losses are bad, right? Uh, losses to FAU and UVA in conference uh, or out of conference, uh, Memphis and Houston. Those are all fine. The, the, they're not going to be punished for those. Auburn, a loss. And, and Ole Miss and Alabama. So none of those other losses are fine, but the losses are starting to pile up a little bit. They've got to get some wins. They've got South Carolina, Georgia, and then the Mississippi schools to close out. To me, they've got to win four of these next five. They've got to get to 19 and 12 and then get to 20 wins. Get that first win in the SEC tournament. They've got to get to 20, I think, in order to get into the tournament. Because if they get to 20, that means they still have 13 losses and nine of them will be in conference. It's a lot of losses to pile up to get in at large. You, typically, 13 is a cutoff. 
for the number of losses that you can have. We have seen teams with 14 losses, and we have seen teams with as much as 15. 13 is... You, you don't want you, you don't want to test the committee by losing more than 13 times. And so this is a really important game. We know that they have the ability to beat Tennessee because they have already. They have a 16-point win at them before they decided to lose all these games to the likes of Vanderbilt and Arkansas. But they're very similarly structured to Tennessee in that, they, I mean, A&M is an outstanding rebounding team. They are tough. They uh, will battle you on the glass all day long, particularly on the offensive rebounding side of things. Uh, Anderson Garcia is a problem inside. 9.4 boards per game. Their guards rebound really, really well. They don't turn the ball over uh, just under 10 per game. And so there's a lot of elements to like about this A&M team, but there's a lot not to like. They really, they just can't shoot. They don't have anybody who's reliable from the outside on the team at all. Uh, you know, Wade Taylor is you know, the best uh, player on the team. Clearly, he's number 66 overall in the country, according to Evan Maya. But he shoots 31% from three, and that's being generous. I'm rounding up. Uh, you know, their guards, Radford and Carter, both 26% or less. Hayden Hefner, 30.9. Like, this team can't shoot. And they really rely on their ability to rebound and second-chance opportunities to score. They're going to need to do that again against a Tennessee team that is known for their toughness as well. When we look at Tennessee, they're 12-13-1 this year against the spread. They are top seven everywhere in terms of the net rankings and... I think they're still in contention for a number one seed if they win the SEC tournament. When we look at teams like uh, Purdue, Arizona, uh, UConn, and Houston, if one of those four were to slip up, I think Arizona is probably the most likely, and lose somewhere in the Pac-12 tournament or have uh, some unexpected losses, they might not get a number one seed and it leaves the door open, I think, for a team like Tennessee to get in there and grab the final number one seed. They've got four players in the top 100, but none of them is named Dalton Connect. That's right. Connect's the one who's getting all the attention and, you know, from NBA scouts. And he's the one who's uh, leading the team this year, especially because of the his ability to shoot, which Tennessee has lacked in the last couple of years. But when you look at their top 100 rankings, you've got Josiah Jordan-James, who's had a great year. He's number 27. You've got Zakai Ziegler at 29. Santiago Vescovi at 41. And then Jonas Adu is number 43. So not only do they have four top 100 players, they have four top 50 players with Connect sitting outside the top 100. I think it's because he's a little bit of a liability defensively. And Tennessee is so good defensively that... Uh, I think that his his uh, deficiencies on the defensive side can get overlooked. And maybe he, I don't want to say that he's overrated because I think that's a little bit unfair because he has brought a dimension to this volunteer team that has not been there in the past. But their identity is defense. They're fifth in adjusted defense over at Ken Palm. And I think that having him not be the, the best defensive player might actually be good for this Tennessee team because it, 
it rounds them out a little bit. It makes them a little bit less one-dimensional, even if it means they're not as amazing as they've been defensively in years past. Tennessee's home rank on Evan Maya is 25, which is pretty good considering there's, you know, 363 teams in NCAA. So they rank in the top 25 in terms of their uh, performance at home. And for that reason, we're going to go with Tennessee minus 10 and a half. We think this is a little bit of a revenge game for Tennessee as well. They're probably embarrassed by the way that they played at AM. I think that was a little bit of an unexpected loss, right? When we look at Tennessee, yeah, they're uh, 20 and uh, 6 on the year, and that's their worst loss. That's by far their worst loss. They had a three-game stretch in the beginning of the year where they lost to Purdue, Kansas, and UNC, right? Purdue and Kansas was part of the Maui Invitational, and then right after that, they, got, they get back from Hawaii and they have to go to Chapel Hill, where they lose a hundred to ninety-two in a in a up-tempo game where Connect went for thirty-seven. That's where everyone was like, "All right, this guy's for real, right?" That was his coming out party, so to speak. He played okay in the Maui and things like that, but I I don't think anybody knew that he was going to fit with this team like he does now. Prior to that UNC game where he went for thirty-seven. And their other losses, you know, in conference, they're 10 and 3. Their losses at Mississippi State by 5, South Carolina by 4, and then the AM loss by 16. So that's really the one that is uh, the exception to the rule with this volunteer team, right? So they're favored 10 and a half. And we look at their wins in conference, they've got a lot of double digit wins. They've got uh, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, LSU, Vanderbilt again. Alabama, Florida, and Ole Miss. They have seven wins in conference where they have won by this 10.5 point spread. We think they're going to make it eight. We also like the under. We think they're going to be able to stifle Texas A&M, do a better job on the glass than they did in the first matchup. And if they're able to neutralize A&M's rebounding ability, then A&M has nothing else. And so we like this to be not very close. We could picture this being like 80 to 60, something like that. And so we're going to go with Tennessee minus 10 and a half at home to get some revenge on the Aggies and really put a dagger in the Aggie season, put them in desperation mode for the rest of the year. And again, we like the under 146. So let's summarize our plays for today in the five games that we have. Again, these games start at 4 p.m. Eastern time, our first game is number 13, Alabama, at number 17, Kentucky. The play we like is over 175. The second game, 10, North Carolina, at Virginia, 4 p.m. on ESPN. The two plays we like is UNC minus 2.5 and, and the under 130. Third game, Texas, at number 9, Kansas, 6 p.m. ESPN. We like Texas plus 8.5. Fourth game, Villanova at number one, UConn, 8 p.m. on Fox. We like Villanova plus 12. And again, that's on Caesars. Everything else here is on DraftKings. And then our final play, Texas A&M at Tennessee. We like two, Tennessee minus 10.5 and the under 146. 
So that'll do it for this week's episode of Year Round Madness. Enjoy the games today. There are a ton of great games, even before the ones that we've mentioned. Houston and Baylor tips off at noon. And there are a bunch of other games today and tomorrow that will have a significant effect on tourney seedings and uh, what March Madness looks like in a few weeks. So again, thanks for listening. Spread the word about the podcast if you can. We would really appreciate it. Rate, review, and subscribe. And we'll see you next week for another episode of Year Round Madness.